You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Good morning. Great to have you in worship with us. Great to have all the folks. Grace Online, wherever you would be around the world, great to have you worshiping with us as well this morning. We are just a few days away from Thanksgiving. So what would you say you're grateful for this morning? Being alive? That's a good place to start. I'm glad you're alive too. Family, help, house, God's provision, I'm sorry, running water, yeah. Oh, thank you. So much that uh, we are blessed with, so much to be grateful for. I wanted to uh, express my gratitude to you, my thanks to you. I just got the word this morning that we are going to be blessing 300 families with a full Thanksgiving meal on Tuesday. Is that not awesome? I mean, think about that. I mean, we're talking everything from turkey to the pumpkin roll and everything in between. 300 families are going to be blessed. Uh, as a result of your generosity. So thank you for being a, a group of believers who don't just come to church on Sunday. You live as the church. There's a big difference. So thank you for just the way you always respond so generously. One of the things that I'm grateful for is that I get to be here. It's pretty amazing. I've been here 24 years, and they haven't got rid of me yet. So uh, I'm grateful for that. Well, if you have your Bibles, look with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're continuing on in the God's Work Air Walk series as we look to the fifth chapter of this letter that Paul wrote to the believers at Ephesus. Now, in case you were not here last Sunday, or or maybe just as a point of review, the second half of Paul's letters, chapters 4, 5, and 6, really focus on how do we live out the faith. If you're wondering what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus Paul lays it out here really well for us in these three chapters. It's not enough just to profess Jesus. We are called to live Jesus. Amen? To live out our faith. As we live Jesus, we do so in community. In other words, we don't live out our faith in isolation. We live out our faith in relationship with others. And that... Um, happens on a lot of different levels in a lot of different ways. So it's not just you and Jesus. It's you, Jesus, and others, right? And it's the others, as I said last week, that creates the challenge in our lives. Um, You and Jesus, you can do just fine. But when we bring others into the equation, it's there that oftentimes we're challenged in living out our faith. And I I believe that Jesus knew that we were going to be challenged. And so he gave us the golden rule, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. The scripture says this, so in everything, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. And then in, in John's gospel, Jesus gave us this challenge, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must. Love one another. Notice Jesus didn't say that that in an optional way, like we get to pick and choose. No, he says you must. If you're going to follow me, you must love one another. And then the Apostle John picked this up in in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12, where we find these words. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete 
in us or, or, or through us. Now, what's clear, not only from the words in life of Jesus, but throughout the whole Bible, is that knowing God and living for God must positively affect our relationships. It must positively affect how we interact with one another on a daily basis. As followers of Jesus, we can't just abuse people and discard relationships. As followers of Jesus, we can't just have this train wreck of relationships behind us going forward like everything else is like okay. It's not okay. Because that's not, that's not how we are directed to live out our faith as it relates again to interacting with others. We are called to work at cultivating healthy, God-honoring, life-giving relationships. That's what it looks like to put our faith to work in our relationships, in our marriage relationships, in our family relationships, in our work relationships, in our community relationships. There's a, a human story of uh, two little brothers, Harry and James, who had finished supper and they were playing in, until bedtime. And somehow Harry hit James with a stick. Oftentimes as kids are playing, things like that happen. And um, there were tears and bitter words that followed. Charges were being uh, made and uh, this was still happening right, right up to bedtime. So as the mom's tucking the boys in for bed, she told her son James that before he went to bed, he was going to have to forgive his brother for hitting him with the stick. And James thought for a moment about that, and this is what he said to his mom. Well, okay, I'll, I'll forgive him tonight, but if I don't die before I wake up, wake up, he better look out in the morning. <laughs> well, that's really not how we're to live out our faith. That's kind of like the opposite of what we're going to find as we, as we look to Scripture this morning. Jesus in us must become Jesus through us as we relate to others. Would you say that with me? Jesus in me, let's make it personal, Jesus in me must become Jesus through me. Let's say it again. Jesus in me must become Jesus through me. Again, if not, there is a disconnect. If not, then you're fooling yourself about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus in you must become Jesus through you. Let me say it another way. God's work in our lives must change who we are and how we engage in relationships. It's God's will that we develop and maintain healthy relationships that bring honor to Him and life for others. See, as we have received the great mercy and grace of God, we're called to live that mercy and grace out to others. As we have richly received from God, so we are to richly then give to others. Let me ask you a question. How many of you are grateful for God's mercy and grace for your life? Obviously, we all would be. Now think about this. What might happen if you took that kind of mercy and that kind of grace and you began to live it out in your marriage? You took that kind of mercy and that kind of grace and you were to live it out in your work relationships. Or um, Thanksgiving's coming and you know you're going to have to get together with your family this week, right? What might happen if you took that kind of mercy and grace and lived it out in your family relationships? And that's what it looks like as we're, as we're living out our faith. It was Gary Smalley, kind of the, the guru on relationships, who said, life is relationships and the rest is just details. And everything in life that truly matters can be boiled down to relationship. I mean, if you think about it, everything we do, everything we do touches relationship in some way every day. 
I mean, even this morning, up until this point of the day, and it's only 9.56, up to this point of the morning, think about the multiple ways you've already engaged in relationship just today. And you've not even made it through half the day yet. Tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, as we're living, everything in our lives really is about relationship. So life is all about relationship. The rest is just details. Not only that, but one of the things I've come to discover, not only is life all about relationships, but the quality of life we experience is determined by our relationships. So if you have bad relationships, how many of you know life is tough, right? When the marriage relationship is upside down, how many of you know you're not just so excited to get home, right? When relationships are bad, life is challenging. When, when relationships are good, then what? There's more joy discovered in life. And we're, we're called now then to, to live out, to live out our lives engaging in healthy relationships. So let's look to see what, what direction Paul gives us in Ephesians 5 concerning relationships. And we're going to begin with verse 1 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, Look there with me, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. It's also on the screen. Notice what Paul says here. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Interesting, the message paraphrase reads like this. Watch what God does, then you do it. Pretty simple, isn't it? Paul's saying, in in regard to your relationships, watch what God does, and then you live that out. You put that into action in your own life. Paul here sets the bar pretty high. And, And then he says what? We are to be imitators of God. Developing qualities and characteristics that are Christ-like. The more we become like him, the healthier our relationships would be. Now, now I think we would all agree that we have some work to do, right? If the standard is this, be imitators of God. I mean, there's some growth and development that needs to happen in our lives as we're working at building healthy relationships. But the more we can imitate God, the better we can relate to others. The more we can imitate God the better we can engage in healthy relationship. I think we all understand this morning that you can't change others or you can't fix others. Is that, you agree with that? Can't change others, you can't fix others. I know for the first about three years that my wife and I were married, I just knew that I could fix her. (laughs) And it didn't work out so well. And after about... The third year into the fourth year, I came to understand that she really wasn't the problem. The greater problem was me. And I couldn't fix her, but there was some work I could do in my own life that could help me be a better husband, that could help us develop a better marriage relationship. So you can't fix others and you can't change others. But what you can do is you can allow the Holy Spirit to refine in your life, bringing about the very character and nature of God. And get this, as you do that, as you're focused on allowing the Holy Spirit to do that in your life, then what happens is you become a healthier you. 
And then you're able to bring a healthier you into your relationship, which then can bring you to the potential of healthier relationships. As we are what? As we are imitating God. As we're living out this character and nature of God, as we're bringing that into our relationship. So what does it look like to imitate God? Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 5 to give us three statements about what it looks like about who God is and how we should live. Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about how do we live out the faith, specifically as it relates to relationship. So what does it look like to imitate God? The first thing Paul says is that God is love. So in our relationships, we should love as he did, which is sacrificially. Look back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Paul says, live a life of love. Notice, live a life of what? Of love. Just as Christ loved us and and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So we're challenged to live a life of love. And Jesus is our example. To love as he loved. So as we love as God loves, this is how it works out. We give more to others than is expected because that's what what love does. When we love as, as God loves, we place the needs of others above that of our own. Even as Jesus placed your needs before his own when he gave his life on the cross. The love is... As God loves means that we forgive others when they fail or offend us. The love as God loves means that we go out of our way to serve others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul kind of speaks of what this love looks like in action. Listen as I read just a couple of verses. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. As I'm reading this, think about your relationships. Think about what might happen. If you brought this kind of love into your marriage, into your family relationships, into your work relationships, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. As we bring this kind of love in our relationships and as we love others as God loves us, well, then we can build healthy relationships. So what does it look like to imitate God? Well, we, we love as God loves. Not only do we love as God loves, but Paul goes on to, to identify here that God is light. And we should live in the light and avoid activities and behaviors that destroy relationships. If you look on down to Ephesians chapter Uh, uh, verse 8 and 9, chapter 5, we're still in chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Notice what the scripture says. For you were once in darkness. And what Paul's talking about here is before you came to faith in Christ. You were once in darkness, meaning you lived by the ways of the world and you were ruled by your selfish, sinful desires. That's what it looked like when you were living in darkness. You, You were once in darkness, but now... You are light in the Lord. Now, since you've responded to the, the mercy and grace of God, you come into a living, life-giving relationship with God. You are light in the Lord. Notice what he says next. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. So what does it mean to live in the light as God is light? It means we live in goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
Again, think about your relationships. What might happen if you brought goodness, righteousness, and truth into every level of your relationship? To live in the light means that we choose, given the option between doing right or wrong, we choose to do that which is, is right. Last week we talked about what does it look like to live godly. To walk in the light and to live godly is basically the same concept. So in our relationships, what we're choosing to do right instead of doing wrong. How many of you know when you do wrong, you usually don't have to be told you've done wrong? You already know that, right? You don't need someone to come along and stick their finger in your face and say you've done wrong. You already know that. But we have have this thing called conscience. So we we want to live in the light. So our actions and our reactions and our words are that which are... Right instead of wrong. Here's a couple, four examples of that. Let's say that that you and I are are in a friendship. We're in a relationship together. We're friends. And um, you do something that kind of cuts me a bit, that offends me a bit. And as a result of that, I blast you with ugly, angry words. And I just walk away from the relationship and totally discard relationship. And many of you know, that is a wrong way to respond. That's called living in the dark instead of living in the light. The right response is if we, get, we engage in a healthy conversation and we bring grace where we need to bring grace, we bring forgiveness where we need to bring forgiveness, and we address the issue in a healthy way. That's what it looks like to live in the light. Or, or let's say that we're friends and I come into financial hardship. And out of your generosity, you loan me some money because I need money to pay my bills. So you loan me some money based on the fact that I say I will repay you what you loan me. So you loan me a chunk of money, and now I avoid you every chance I get. I see you coming. I go the other way. And I never pay back what I borrowed from you. How many of you know? That's a wrong response. And if that's the way I respond, then I've just wrecked a relationship. No, to live in the light means what? That we're good to our word. We do what we say. And I work to repay you what I owe you because that's right. That's what it means to, 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 live, to live in the light. Not only is God light, but God's wisdom. So we should live wisely making right investments in our relationships. In Ephesians 5 verse 15 and 16, Paul goes on to say, and all of this is about imitating God. He goes on to say, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Notice that line, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Paul says live wisely making right investments. How many of you know the quality of any and every relationship is determined by what's invested in the relationship? Right? Are you with me? If you don't invest, you won't have quality relationship. Matter of fact, no investment equals no relationship. If we want great relationships, then it requires it requires an investment on, on our part. If, for example, if you want a healthy, vibrant marriage relationship, then it requires ongoing investment. It's, it's not like, well, you have a wedding and then you get to healthy marriage. Doesn't like, that's not the way it works. But it it requires ongoing investment. As I do premarital counseling, 
I spent a lot of time talking about this concept. That if you want a great marriage, it requires great investment. And at the end of the day, any and every marriage relationship is, is a result of what two individuals have invested in the relationship. So if there's no relationship and there's, and there's strife and there's challenge in the relationship, that probably tells me that somebody's not investing. So healthy marriage requires investing. We say with a parenting relationship, how many of you know you don't just birth kids and you know have a great relationship with them? No, but it requires investment, time, and and resources. Or we could say the same thing with friendships. Listen, if you're going to have healthy friendships, it requires an investment into the friendship. It's kind of like. It's kind of like with your retirement account or your savings account. How many of you know if you're going to grow a savings account, you have to make investments in it. You have to make deposits in it, right? Are you with me? But if, you, if you're constantly making withdrawals from the account, sooner or later, you're going to end up with what? Zero. The account's, the account's going to be empty. And it's the same in a relationship at every level. So... Paul would say here, live wisely, making the most of every opportunity, investing, intentionally investing in our relationship. And as we intentionally invest, we end up with what? Healthy, vibrant relationships. So as we, as we live out our faith in the context of relationships, the challenge is to imitate God. Listen, more than just professing to know God, we must allow the very nature and character of God to shape how we relate to others. And the more godly we live, the better we'll be able, the better we'll be at developing healthy relationships that bring life for us. The more godly we live, the healthier we are, the healthier self we can bring into relationship with others. Because we come to the end of chapter 5 and on into chapter 6, Paul gets into now some specifics. He said, hey, this is what it looks like to live out your faith, imitate God. Now he gets to three specific relationships. And I want to address these really quick. He talks about the marriage relationship, parenting relationship, and the vocational relationship. Now, I could preach a, a series of sermons on each of those topics. And I now have nine minutes left to cover all three of these. So I'm going to give you just a quick summary of what I see Paul saying here about these critical relationships. And again, don't separate yourself from the text. If you're married and you're here this morning, Paul's talking to you. If you're a parent and you're here this morning, God's talking to you. If you have a job and you work, and Paul's talking about your relationships at work. So let's, let's quickly look to these last few verses in chapter 5. The first relationship that Paul addresses is the marriage relationship. For all of those who are here this morning who are married, you know that having a good marriage requires work, right? It doesn't just happen. Matter of fact, it won't happen if you don't work at it. I was reading a story about a woman who was bragging, and she said, you know, my husband and I, we have a very, very, very happy marriage. There's nothing I wouldn't do for him. There's nothing he wouldn't do for me. So that's the way we go through life. We do nothing for each other. (laughs) Well, that's the opposite. 
as the opposite of the direction that the Apostle Paul gives us. He, he charges both husbands and wives to take action, investing well into the marriage relationship. His charge to the husbands in the, rooms to, in the room today is this. Love and cherish your wives as Jesus loved the church. Listen to the words that Paul wrote in Ephesians 5 verse 25. It says, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Interesting, the message paraphrase reads like this. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. I love the way it's stated in the message paraphrase. Like this is the ultimate challenge. I mean, for us as husbands, like we're told to give our all our best 110% effort to love our wives to the point, to the point of giving up our own desires, surrendering that of our will for our wives. See, when husbands sacrificially love their wives with this attitude, with this response. They're being like Jesus, who set the example for us. For me, this is a huge challenge as a husband. And if you're, if you're in that role this morning, a huge challenge. And what's the challenge? To love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now, how did Christ love the church? He gave his life. He so put, he so put the place of the church, he so put your place ahead of himself that he willingly gave his life. You know, I've never met a woman who said, I'm not interested in following a man who's willing to give his life for me. Women are longing for that kind of leadership. For a man who would come alongside her and be a covering and a and, and a protector and a provider and one who would love her as Jesus loved the church. So that's that's the responsibility to the husband. Paul says, in the marriage relationship, men, stop worrying about yourself. Start stop living for yourself. Stop chasing after only what you want. He says, no, here's your responsibility. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then to the wives, to the wives, it's not just the husbands that he speaks to. To the wives, he says, respect your husbands and submit to their leadership. In Ephesians 5.22, we, we have these words, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. And this verse has certainly been taken out of context down through the years. Been abused by many. Uh, often I've heard husbands say, well, you know, God's word says my wife is supposed to obey me. And I'm like, I don't think you fully understand what Paul's talking about. It's interesting. The word is not obey. The word is submit. The Greek word here is hupotasso, which means this, to willingly come under the leadership of. So it's not, it's, it's not the husband saying to the wife, you know, you have to do what I say because that's what the Bible says. It's not that kind of leadership. 
Get this. Here's the picture that Paul gives us. It's more of a partnership. It's more of teamwork. Because husband and wife are co-equal. Wife is not less than the husband. Co-equal in relationship. Yet here's God's order. The husband is leading in a way that he's sacrificially giving his life for his wife. And the wife, longing for that kind of leadership, comes under the covering of her husband and willingly follows that kind of leadership. In that in that God, in that of God's design, we find the synergy and the energy of a dynamic marriage relationship. That's what it, thank you. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to live out our faith in the context of marriage. The second relationship that, that Paul addresses here is, is the parenting relationship or the family relationship. In chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, he challenges both parents and children as to how they should relate to experience healthy family and uh, healthy family relationships. Now, for those who are parents, being that I'm a parent, uh, I have a bit of an insight on this. You know, being a parent can be like the most thrilling, fulfilling, gratifying experience in life. I remember the first time. I saw our son 19 years ago as we adopted our son. My wife was in the delivery room and I saw him through the through the window as they brought him into the room where they clean babies up. And I was I was so taken, but I was so overwhelmed in that moment. I think we all understand as parents and grandparents how thrilling, fulfilling and and gratifying how much love we experience. But then there's the other times when we like love our kids so much, like we want to squeeze the life right out of them, right? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. There's both sides of it. It's so thrilling. And then sometimes we wonder, and why did we do this, right? Why did we, why did we go down this road? Now, Paul gives us here some great advice for both the parents and the children. For first to the parents, Paul says, parents, do not use your authority to exasperate your children, but encourage them and, and build them up. And, and in Ephesians 6, 4, we find these words, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, certainly, certainly children need um, correction, direction and discipline. That's a part of the development process in their lives. And as parents, that's one of your roles, is to bring the correction, the direction, and discipline. But we always want to do that in a way that's building into the lives of the child. We always want to do it in a way that's adding value to them. If you can think of it like this, the role that God's given us as parents is to shepherd the hearts of our children. That happens in a lot of different ways. And Paul says, parents, as you're relating to your children, bring this direction, but do it in a way that, that, uh, that's helping them become all that God's created them to be. Because what we would know is that within every child, there's great purpose, there's great potential, there's great future. And then God places that child under your supervision, moms and dads, to be a part of that development process to bring them to the fullness of that potential. Really a significant role. Paul's saying, parents, do it in such a way that you're, that you're guiding them in that direction. That you're, that you're helping them come to know God in a deeper way. Listen, parents, one of the most important, one of the most important things you can do for your children is to build a solid spiritual foundation in their lives. 
To give them that knowledge from which to live their lives from. So parents, don't exasperate your children. Build into their lives. And then to the children, verse 1, Paul says that the children are to honor and obey your parents, submitting to their instruction and leadership. So so for the children, the, the charge is to willingly come under the leadership of the parents. Now, this is not always easy, but, it, but it's always right. It's God's way. It's interesting. It's interesting, I think, that the direction Paul gives here ties all the way back to the Ten Commandments. Like the seventh of the Ten Commandments addresses children. And we go back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. The scripture says this, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord God has given you. To the children, he's saying, you know, obey your parents, follow their direction, come submit yourself under their leadership. Now, I remember back when I was a teenager, um, man, I was challenged with this obey thing, to be honest. Matter of fact, when I was 15, 16, I thought my dad is the most ignorant man I've ever met in my life. He just knows nothing. It's amazing, though, how smart my dad got when I turned 22. Like, how did he learn that much in six years? I didn't think my dad understood life. I I, I didn't. I I was challenged following his rules. I moved out when I was 17 because I thought I knew better and I could do better on my own. And I come to discover, like, man, mom could still cook better than I could. And she did laundry a whole lot better than I did. I would stop by often and let her do those things for me so she could express her love to me. Right? But as we obey, we're embracing that of God's way and we're opening the way for parents to bring their investment into the lives of children. And then as we, as it's not just the obey, there's this honor, but we give respect and honor too. And it's interesting now in this season of my life, now being 54 and, and I'm blessed in that both of my parents are still alive. I look for ways consistently. I try to call my mom and dad every day. But I look for ways consistently that I can bring honor to them because of their investment in my life. Paul says to, to the children to honor and obey, to follow after. So parents, here it is. Love your kids and lead them in a way that's building into those. You're shepherding their hearts. And to the children, we're following under, we're willingly submitting, following under the leadership of the parents. The last relationship that, that Paul specifically addresses is the vocational relationship. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, Paul talks about how our faith life should impact our work life. Faith life shaping work life. As Paul addresses this, if you look to the text, he's, he's talking about masters and slaves. So let me address that for just a moment. Paul's addressing the reality of what was happening in in his day. He's not promoting slavery. He's not saying that slavery is okay. He's just addressing the reality of what's happening. And this time, in the Roman Roman Empire, there would have been approximately 6 million slaves. So slaves are getting saved. Masters are getting saved. And that created a bit of a tension. How do we dance this dance? How do we live out this relationship? So Paul brings instructions for both master and slave who are now followers of Jesus Christ. And I believe what Paul says here translates directly to our vocational life, to our work life, to our work relationships. 
So first, Paul addresses the master. So to the employers, if you're here today and you're an employer, you're the boss, you own the company, you have people under your charge, then this is what Paul's saying to you. As a Christ follower who's an employer, he says that you should be equitable and honest in your relationship with your employees. As the boss... You should treat your employees with respect and be fair in their compensation. Rather than using your position and authority to take advantage of, you use your position and authority to bring value for. It's what it looks like. Living out your faith in the workplace. Paul makes it very clear, and you can read in chapter 6, he makes it very clear that, that God shows no favoritism. In God's eyes, there's not like boss and employee. That shows no favoritism. He sees both as those who've been redeemed, both as those who are his children, both of those who are living out their faith. So as the employer, you want to do your work as under the Lord. You want to lead as under the Lord. And to the employee, Paul says you should respect. Respect your employers and and do your work as under the Lord. Listen to these words from Ephesians 6, verse 7 and 8. Paul says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, slave or free. So Paul's charge to employees. So if you're here and you're an employee, you work for a business, you work for a company, then Paul is speaking to you. And this is what he says. Do your work as unto the Lord. So in other words, don't go to work and try to figure out how you can do the minimum and still keep your job. Don't do that. Paul says go to work and every day, this is what it looks like. You show up before you're supposed to. And while you're there, you give your absolute best effort. Why? You're doing your work is unto the Lord. You're honoring God in your work. And as you're doing your work unto the Lord and as you're bringing your best, then what? You're able to invest in a, a healthy relationship with the employer. And so we have this slave master, we have this employer-employee dynamic playing out where individuals are what? They're honoring God in their life, in their work, in their vocation. They're honoring one another, and, and then they're discovering what? Healthy, vibrant relationship. See, what we discover in Ephesians 5 and going into the first part of chapter 6 is that the presence of Jesus in our lives must positively impact how we relate to one another. As we follow the way of Christ, as we make that decision that we're going to be, that we're going to be imitators of God, then this is what happens. We elevate the quality of our relationships. When we say, God, I, I, I want to I imitate you. I want to I bring your character into my relationships, into my marriage relationship, into my family, in my work relationships, then what happens? Man, we, we bring a healthier us to the relationship, and the end result is what? We experience better relationships. And I'm telling you, where you have better relationships, you have better life. Right? Really simple. Better relationships, better life, more fun in life. More fulfillment in life. So what's the charge? What's the challenge? It's this be imitators of God. 
and allow who He is to change who you are to then change how you relate to others. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for both the encouragement and the challenge of your word. Lord, it speaks right to where, Lord, what I know is there's people here today who are, Lord, they're in this marriage dance. There's people here today who are Lord, in, uh, engaged in, in family relationships. People here today who, Lord, uh, are engaged in vocational relationships, Lord, that in their place of work. We have company owners here today and we have employees here today. Although what I know is that at times we can be challenged in each of those areas. So, Lord, I pray for everyone in the room, because, Lord, again... This is about all of us because we all, in some way, engage in relationship every day. We would pray, Holy Spirit, continue to refine in our lives, helping us to be imitators of God. Helping us to to live out the very mercy and grace of God that we have received, the very generosity we have received. Holy Spirit, help us. Because this is what I know. Marriages are transformed, God, when we take your word and your way and we begin to live it out. Amazing how marriages are transformed when husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church and as wives bring respect to the husband that they're following who's loving them in that way. Wow, it transforms. Family relationships are changed as as parents are building into the lives of the children and children are willingly coming under that leadership. So Holy Spirit, help us. And I pray that for every one of us in the room. Because again, every one of us are engaging in relationships. Help us not just to profess Jesus, but help us to live Jesus. And what I know is we struggle. And Lord, even in this moment, there's individuals here today who, Lord, that... Their marriage, if we were to just kind of sit down and have a talk, their marriage is in a crisis. Lord, I pray for that man, that woman right now. God, I pray that their eyes would be open. Lord, they wouldn't be pointing their finger at their mate, but they would point their finger at themselves and say, what needs to happen in me? That I can bring a healthier me to a healthy marriage relationship. God, I pray for a miracle of transformation. I pray for eyes to be open. Lord, even right now in this moment for that man that's been thinking about leaving his wife, God, I pray that his heart would be turned even in this moment, that he would know, God, that that you're present in the midst of that crisis that he's in. Lord, I pray specifically this morning for that parent who's dealing with a prodigal child and their heart is so broken. But I pray with them today for the turning of the heart of that prodigal child back to the family. Lord, I pray even as the prodigal son, the scripture says he came to his senses. So I pray this morning, Lord, that that prodigal child would come to their senses, that they would turn back, God, to you and to their family. Again, Holy Spirit, help us. Help us imitate God. As we're living out our relationship, Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.